You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Well, that's a great romantic movie. If you haven't seen it, you can take Isn't it a great romance movie, Keith? You look like a guy that appreciate a movie like that. So my heart is so overwhelmed, you know, just hearing Pastor Jeremy going through the announcements. It's pretty cool, all the things God is doing in this church. And, and I'm so glad he mentioned Food for Hope. Food for Hope, we're now feeding, is it 15, is that right, 15 schools? Somewhere right around there. Uh, we are, yeah, and put your hands together for that. <clears throat> that whole program started with uh, me helping out my sister at McElwain Elementary School. She was substituting there. And I had a conversation with her, and she told me that a lot of the kids just eat, like, cheese crackers for lunch. And then I thought, we could do something. And then we eventually, we, uh, we took on McElwain, and we did a carnival. Anybody here for that carnival? This is going way back. We had, yeah, some of you were here for the carnival, and, and the kids loved the piñatas. We didn't offer any food. We just offered candy and then piñata, and the kids loved it. And then eventually we incorporated food, and they just continued to morph from there. And it's just been a beautiful, beautiful God story. All the glory goes to God. I'm so happy for that. So happy the way we're now under one roof, Food for Hope and us. So if you're just joining us, make sure to look at foodforhope.net, and you can read about how we are loving on kids, and specifically kids who require lunch assistance, and loving on them for the weekend. So I'm glad we're doing this together. So Rome... Paul enters Rome. So if you're just joining us, this is probably the last time I'm going to wear my Unleashed shirt while I preach up here. Uh, We've been through 20 weeks right here. There's all the messages we've gone through, 20 weeks of messages. We've never gone a whole series with 20 20 messages like this. So this is the first time. But so many people have just given positive feedback, how much they enjoyed walking through the book of Acts. And that's what we've been doing. So Acts is found in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you have the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is about the unleashing power of the Holy Spirit. It's written by Dr. Luke. He's the only Gentile author we have in the New Testament. And he writes about the unleashing power of the New Testament. This is what makes the the, the gospel... The, the book of Acts different from like a TED talk because this is fueled by the Holy Spirit and the church is birthed and it, it's been going on now for 2,000 years. There's people meeting all over the world, or on Sunday at least, all over the world today or, or right around today because of what happened in Acts chapter 2 and the church continues to move on. People continue to be changed by Jesus Christ. God is still in the business of changing and transforming and saving lives. He still does it. It's a very real thing. And that's why the church continues. If it wasn't happening fueled by the Holy Spirit, the church would just die off would just die off. But, but the Holy Spirit has been working in such a beautiful way. So in Acts, as we've walked through this whole journey of Acts, you know, you've seen how, how God has used uh, Paul the Apostle. Paul was previously known as Saul, and he's on this road to Damascus, and he gets blinded by this light, and it's Jesus Christ. Remember how long, how many days was he blinded, church? How many days? 
three days, right on. Blinded for three days, and that certainly got his attention. It would get any of us our attention. And then all of a sudden, he's transformed. Jesus Christ becomes Lord of his life, and he spends the rest of his life serving Jesus, the rest of his life. Very educated guy. Most people think if he was educated today, the equivalency, he'd have about six six, uh, doctorate degrees. That's how educated he was. So he gives his life to serving Jesus and everything changes. And early on in Paul's, Paul's ministry, you see this desire to go to Rome. He keeps talking about, I want to go to Rome. I want to go to Rome. Rome is the powerhouse. Rome is the empire that kind of stands above everyone else. And Rome is to be feared. So you see him wanting to go to Rome. Now, last week, I talked about him going to this island. Remember this whole shipwreck journey he was on? It was supposed to be a three-hour tour, right? Anyway, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, this this whole journey, and eventually he lands in this island named Malta. And in Malta, when he shows up, um, the Maltese uh, there are, are very happy to see him. And if you were to go to Malta today, you would see Paul memorialized all over the island. In fact, they have a bay called St. Paul's Bay where they believe that uh, Paul was, was there. But actually, you know, we talked about it last week. It was probably closer to St. Thomas Bay where they found four anchors there just in the late 60s that they believe possibly were dated back to Roman era and possibly could have been the anchors on Paul's ship. So what you need to know is when Paul showed up on this island, they had a fire for him and they welcomed him and, and, and they were very kind to him. And while he was there on Malta, um, what, there was a, he was getting wood for the fire, and a snake bit him. It was a poisonous snake. And when it bit him, he threw it back into the fire. And the people around the fire, they're watching this whole thing, and they're kind of watching Paul to see if he's going to like fall over and die. They're just like staring at him like, okay. And they had this, this uh, you can call it karma. They had this karma god, a god of justice, and they knew many of these people from this shipwreck, from this boat that was shipwrecked, were prisoners. So they thought, ah, Karma finally caught up to him. He's going to die from this snake bite, and, and because, you know, you can't escape karma. So, so they watch him and watch him and watch him, and they're waiting, and nothing happens to Paul. So then they have kind of a change of mind and think, well, maybe he's not the fugitive we thought. Maybe he's not the sinner we thought. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, the, the governor there, Publius, uh, he had a sick daughter, and, 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 and Paul is there, and Paul prays for this girl, and she's healed. And then all of a sudden, people all over Malta start bringing anyone who's sick, and he starts healing people all over the place. And and Malta is changed because of the ministry of Paul as he heals and prays for people in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, he's still on the way to Rome. So here's where we're at. This is the last chapter in Acts. Chapter 28, verse 11 says this, it was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered at the island, an Alexandrian ship with the twin gods as its figurehead, the twin gods. Everywhere you go, you just about see these these references to Greek gods, and you see it everywhere. So they've been on Malta for three months. Say three months with me, three months. That's how long they've been there. There's a season for everything. When you look at the life of Paul, you see him going through these different seasons in life, and, and he was in Caesarea for two years as a prisoner, and now he's on this ship, and he's traveling, and he eventually lands. Verse 12 says this, our first stop was Syracuse, where we stayed three days. From there, we sailed across to Rejum. A a day later, a south wind began blowing, so the following day, we sailed up the coast to Petoli. 
There, we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to where, church? There they are. This is what he's been waiting for. So this happens right around 61 AD. Right around 61 AD, Paul shows up. It's late winter when he shows up and he's there. Here's a little bit about Rome. Anybody ever been to Rome? It's on my list. If you've never, never been to Rome, um, I'd love to go there one day. But when Paul shows up, Rome has been in existence for about 800 years. And the famous Colosseum was not yet built, but the prominent buildings were the Temple of Jupiter, the palaces of Caesar, and the Temple of Mars, which is the god of war, was built. At that time, Rome had a population of about two million, a million slaves and a million free. So the society was, was, was broken up in three different categories or classes. There was a, a small upper class, there was a large class for the poor, and then there were slaves. So that was the makeup of Rome during the, during the time. Incidentally, when Paul left Caesarea or Jerusalem, Caesarea, and he traveled all the way across the Mediterranean and he was pushed by this storm and eventually he lands in Rome, that's a total of 2,130 miles. That's how far he traveled. So my son's in Nashville. That would be like a round trip trip to Nashville. That's what it would be like. So he's taken as a prisoner to the empire's capital city, and he arrives there in 61 AD. Verse 15 says this again. It says, the brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming. So incidentally, this reference to brothers and sisters isn't like his blood brothers and sisters. These are other Christians. So the gospel was already spreading there before Paul showed up. And when Paul showed up, they knew about him, and they just love on him. They just love on him. And they came to meet us at the Forum, not the LA Forum, on the Appian Way. Others joined us at the Three Taverns. Doesn't that sound like the name of a bar or something? The Three Taverns? It's not. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged, and he thanked God. You know, there's something so powerful when you have the ability to encourage someone. Become a person who is known to encourage others. It's always easier to tear down people. It's always easier to say something critical. It's always easier to do that. That's our flesh. That's our human nature. But be intentional about encouraging those around you. Say something good and positive and just uplifting. Lift them up with your words. Don't tear them down. Verse 16 says this, when we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was, what church? He was guarded by a soldier. So Paul shows up. And he has this long chain, so to speak, on him. And he has to have a soldier attached to him all the time. He's still in custody, but he has freedom to have visitors and, and, and he has freedom to talk to other people. And, and so, so he's, he's, uh, he's kind of on house arrest, but he has freedom as well. And let me just say this. It may not look like you think. It may not look like you think. When Paul initially wanted to go to Rome, Undoubtedly, it never dawned on him that I want to go to Rome as a prisoner. That would be so cool. That's not what he was thinking. He was thinking, I want to go to Rome and I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Rome is the epicenter of the world at this time. And I want to go there. But he goes as a prisoner. Sometimes we have plans in our heart. We have plans for, you know, related to career or whatever it is, or plans for our children. And we think, oh, this is what I want. But it may not happen like you think. When you surrender to the will of God, you surrender to the way of God as well. God took care of Paul the apostle the entire time, but he was in chains. He was in chains the entire time. It may not look like you think. What do you do when you get there, but it doesn't feel like you thought there, there would, would, would feel like? You know what I mean? What do you do when you get there, but it doesn't feel like you thought there would feel like? 
Like you always wanted to, to have this, or you always wanted to be in this position, or you always wanted to have this goal, and you eventually get there, but when you're there, you're like, you know what, it's not what I thought it would be. It's not what I, I envisioned it would be. I wanted it so badly, and now that I have it, gosh, it's just not what I thought it would be. How do you respond to a situation like that? Paul was in the will of God, but he didn't plan to be in chains in Rome. One thing I've learned when you surrender yourself to the will of God, you're the project. You're the project. God is, God is so consumed with this idea of you growing closer to him, you knowing him. God is consumed with this idea of you knowing his love and his grace and his mercy and his presence. God is consumed with this idea of you dying to yourself and learning to live for him. God is consumed with this idea of you trusting him and leaning on him and not leaning on your intellect or your own resources or your self-sufficiency, but becoming a Christ-driven follower of Christ. He's consumed with this idea of you knowing him. And that's what I've learned. Here I am. I've been a pastor for over 20 years, guys, and I can tell you the project is not the church. It's inside my chest cavity. It's about me walking with him. That's the same for all of us. Wherever you're out in your journey, it's, it's, not, about, it's not about the boat. It's about, it's about you. So Paul is there, and this is what he does. Three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders, and he said, said to them, brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem. So he's given them like a Cliff Notes recap version of what has happened in his life. So he's, he says, brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government. Even though I had done nothing against our people, or the customs of our ancestors. Notice that he got the Jewish leaders together. So he's targeting the Jewish Jewish leaders, and he's talking to them. The Romans tried me and wanted to release me because they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar. And that's why he's in Rome, because he said, I want to appeal to Caesar. Even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people, I asked you to come here today so we can get acquainted And so I could explain to you that I'm bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. That's Paul's, that's what he's preaching over and over. He's like, I'm in trouble because I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And that's why I'm in trouble because nobody, Rome, you know, whoever thinks that this is a threat, this is a bad message, and that's why I'm in trouble because I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 21 says, they replied, We have no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here, but we want to hear what you believe. They're inquisitive. For the only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. It is denounced everywhere. So when Christianity started, and when you read about this in Acts, when the church is unleashed and the Holy Spirit... For, for there was a, a good group of people that just believed this was a sect. They basically thought it was... It was Judaism 2.0. It was Judaism with a twist. That's all it was. But of course, we we know it's much more than that. It's a whole new covenant in Christ Jesus. And, And it's not just for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles as well. So when Paul shows up, and much of the thinking around 
is this is just Judaism 2.0. And Paul, you know, talks to them and says, no, 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 no. With this, this, new, this new thing, you don't have to be circumcised physically. It's a, it's a circumcision of the heart. And you don't have to worry about the diet because God takes, God, God is, I mean, it's just a whole new message. And you're right in Christ Jesus. And he alone is the Messiah. And, and you know, this is a new message. So it's not Judaism 2.0. Now, during this time, Paul shows up and he's in chains. It's not what he expects. And then there's this other thing. There's this backdrop behind Paul the entire time. Remember, he wanted to go to, or he was, he, they took him to Rome to, because he appealed to Caesar. Well, who's Caesar? Caesar is this guy named Nero. Maybe you've heard of him. Nero was an evil emperor of Rome. He was, in fact, one of the, the last Julius Emperor of Rome. And he was, he was now the Caesar, and in AD 54, Nero becomes the youngest emperor at the age of 16, and he reigned nearly 14 years until AD 68. He committed suicide at the age of 30. So he reigned, look at, look at the times he reigned, AD 54 to 68. Well, Paul arrives in Rome in 61 AD. Right in the middle of this man, this evil emperor named Nero. So Nero took the throne approximately two decades after Christ was crucified. Although still in its infancy, Christianity was spreading rapidly during this time. And in fact, 14 of the 27 New Testament books were written in whole or in part during Nero's emperorship. So he was the guy behind this whole thing, which is really interesting. He was spiritually dark. Light shines best in darkness. Light shines best in darkness. You see how, how God just allowed this evil emperor to be there, and the gospel is spreading right under him. He was so evil, this guy was known for... He, eventually, he was listening to some, some good advisors around him, and something happened. A switch flipped. And eventually, he, 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 began, he began murdering anyone who became an obstacle to him. And that's what he became known for. In fact, there was a, he was known in July 64, there was a great fire of Rome that broke out. And of Rome's 14 districts, only three escaped damage from the fire. <clears throat> 14 out of 17, or 14. Only three escaped. And he was known to set fire on Christians, literally Christians, and let them run through. And that's how he set this fire. And he was known for murdering uh, Christians. And he became a person who just hated Christians. Uh, Tacitus, the uh, historian, said this, covered with the skin of beasts, Christians were torn by dogs and perished or were nailed to crosses or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. So when Paul shows up, and he's, this is all in Rome, and there's these other brothers and sisters, the backdrop of all the, this gospel is a spiritually dark person named Nero, who hates Christians. And it's during this time that God sends light into Rome. It's during this time. I want you to hear this. God needs courageous Christians who will live out their faith regardless of what others think. Sometimes we think, oh, you know what, my job situation is so bad, my friends are so bad, my work is so bad, my whatever it is is so bad, and, and you, might be tend, you might have a tendency to complain about it, but your faith is loudest in the midst of a dark place, in the middle of a dark place. 
you are brightest in the dark place. And when you're in that situation, one of the most powerful things you can do is pray. Pray for your home. If you sense your home is a spiritually dark place, pray for your home. If the place that you work at is dark, pray for them. If your boss is in a spiritually dark place and you see this side of him that you just know is not, pray for your boss. Pray for whoever it is. But light shines best in darkness. And when Paul shows up, Nero is emperor and he's there. And then this is what he does. He preaches. He says, so time was set on the day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. This is so different because normally Paul would go and he would go into the synagogue, but this time he's telling everyone, why don't you come to me because I can't leave with this chain. So he goes to, he, he, everybody comes to his lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus. That's his message over and over. He's like, he just keeps pounding this message of it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the book of the prophets, he spoke to them from the morning until evening. Remember, who is he talking to? A bunch of Jews. What do Jews admire? Well, they respect the law of Moses. They respect the Old Testament. So he starts with that, and he he shows them Jesus in the Old Testament. We had a gal here. She moved away, but she attended Thorn Creek Church, and she was a Jew. She actually went to a rabbinic school in New York City, and, and she started coming to church, and, and she would hear the messages, and she came to know Jesus Christ just by learning Jesus in the Old Testament. And she came in, and I had the incredible honor of baptizing her one weekend, and I'll, I'll never forget such a beautiful weekend baptizing this beautiful Jew. And, and that's what happened. So Paul is testifying them. He's telling them, I want you to know about the kingdom of God. You got to know about Jesus. And, and for Paul, you see his transformation. Nothing else matters to him except Jesus. And he wants you to know Jesus. He said, Jesus is the answer for everything. I uh, worked on my fence this week. I'm going to show you a picture. That's my old fence, not the new fence. So some of you like are really good with wood. And you could probably, like, I had to tear down this fence, like, with a hammer, and, and, and just, it was really old. It's literally been there since we moved into this house, which was September 2002. It's a long time. So I had to tear it down, and I threw it all in the trash can, and then I had to build a new gate. So I know for some of you woodworking people who have that gift of craftsmanship, you can do the whole thing in, like, an hour. I get it. I can't. So I, I'm not gifted like that. And it's, like, literally out of my sandbox, my sandbox is leadership development, typing, communicating, casting vision, building a team, leading an army, so to speak. That's my sandbox. But to build something like this, this is like a whole new language. When I brought out the, I brought a chop saw because I was influenced by Keith. I brought a chop saw and I was looking at this chop saw. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this thing. I mean, I, I was look, reading the manual for like an hour trying to figure out, okay, I'm embarrassed even telling you that. So anyway, but as I'm, I'm working through and I'm building, the whole time I'm talking to God. I'm talking to Jesus. I'm saying, okay, Lord, I don't know what to do with this thing. This is, I don't know what to, I, I saw a YouTube video. It didn't help. I don't know what to do, God. So I don't know. So I start throwing away all the wood in the, the, the you know, the trash can that I have, the bin. And, and, and uh, <clears throat> I'm throwing it all away and I'm thinking, I'm so glad God doesn't throw our lives away. When we've messed up, when we live with guilt and shame, when we have a hard time believing in ourselves, I'm so glad God doesn't throw us away. Amen? 
I'm so glad God doesn't throw us away. I'm so glad God doesn't give up on me the way I give up on me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm so glad God says, I believe in you. I'm going to look past that. I'm not going to throw you away. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? I'm so grateful for the grace of God because I know who I am apart from the grace of God. See, I know this, you look at this fence and it's just a wooden fence for you. It has actually no emotional attachment to you at all. I get it. For me, it represents so much. As I was throwing it away, the Lord is speaking to me and saying, Reuben, I'll never throw you away. Just about started crying all by myself in the midst of the chop saw and everything else and sawdust around me. And he's like, I'm never going to throw you away because I love you and I care about you. And then the other thing about it, as I, I was figuring out how to build this, this fence and literally praying every step of the way, literally, like, God, how do I put a, this gate up? And I was tempted. There's so many people I could call that I'm sure would have come over to my house, but I didn't, I didn't want to call anyone. You know, I just wanted, I just, just me and the Lord. And, and, and it got so bad on, on, on Thursday night. It was supposed to be like a six-hour job. You know what I'm saying? And on Thursday night, Grace and I are out there like close to 10 o'clock at night, and I have a headlamp on, and I'm like there, and right there, Grace is handling me wood at 10 o'clock, and I'm using the, you know, the saw, and I have my HOA neighbor next to me, and I'm like, I'm going to get a call or something. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like, eventually I said, baby, I can't finish this. You got to finish it all tomorrow yourself. I, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> no, I said, but I, I, I said, I'm just going to leave it alone. So the gate was, there was no gate for Thursday night in my house. Um, and then the rest of the night, I, I, anybody live with fear? Like, like, like the gate is open and, and there's going to be some bad guy walking through to my backyard and peeping through my windows or something like that. And my dog is going to be sleeping. You know, that's what I envision. My dog is, is I'm like, and then I thought, gosh, how terrible would it be to go through life without trusting in God, to live in constant worry and fear? I don't want to live like this. I want to trust God. I don't want to trust God when it makes sense. I want to trust God all the time, whether I, whether I feel like I have the strength or not. I want to trust God. The next day, I worked on it and put it all up, and it's brand new. But the Lord showed me something else with this whole fence. Because when things go bad, what we do is we take them and we throw it in the trash can and we build a brand new one. That's what we do in religious offense, at least. But you know what God does in our lives? He doesn't pick us up and throw us in the trash can. You know what he does? He takes us. He touches us. He makes us clean. And he breathes life into us. We're the same person in with a new spirit living inside of us, a new heart living inside of us. He doesn't discard us. He keeps us. And now all of those, those, those bumps and bruises and pain and heartache and, and all of those things that are in our memory, it's all part of our God story. It's like, yep, yeah, <clears throat> you don't know how far God has brought me. I've been through a divorce. You don't know how, far, how hard that was. I lost a child. You don't know how hard that was. But I've discovered God's grace was enough to carry me. Yep, I was hurt when I was younger. I was hurt by that church. I was hurt by him. I was hurt by her. But God has healed me. God has touched me. And it all becomes part of the story. It's how beautiful God is. And then we become this billboard everywhere we go telling people about Jesus. And it's real. It's, we're passionate about it because Jesus has, has got a hold of our lives. Verse 24 says this. Some were persuaded by the things he said, but others did not believe. 
And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with, a, with this final word from Paul. So here comes Paul. Here comes, here comes the hammer. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to this people, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. Now he's going to, here's the spiritual, you want to, it's spiritual surgery right here. For the hearts of these people are, what church? Are ardent. Here's what he's saying. I got this rock right here. He's saying, these people, their hearts are like this rock. I just preached a message to them about Jesus and how Jesus can get a hold of their life and how they don't have to live like that and they can know the freedom that comes in Christ and they can know God's grace and God's love and they can experience a new life here and now and they could also experience a new life in heaven. They could know God, and this, uh, the, but their hearts are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me, what? And do, you need, uh, do you need healing? Do you need to be healed? Do you need to be healed? Paul is saying, look, this is the condition right here. Their heart is... Hard, stubbornness, pride. And he's saying because they have a hard heart, it's affecting their ability to see spiritually. It's affecting their ability to, to hear God's word. It's affecting their ability to understand, to seek God, because this heart is so hard. When you look at Ezekiel chapter 36, it talks about this surgery. And you know what it says in Ezekiel? That one day God will take out the heart of stone. And he's going to give a new heart, a heart of flesh that's soft, that seeks God. You know, you could come to church and look like this right here. You see that? I want to make sure everybody sees that. You can come to church and look like this. And you can maybe even sing songs and maybe even hear a message, but you walk away unchanged. You can do that. You know what real transformation looks like when you let God take this out? And you let God put this new heart inside of you. And all of a sudden, you become spiritually awakened and you become, you become open to God and his love and his grace, and, and, and do you see God's motive in all this? And, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. That's the desire of God. God wants to heal you from that pain, from that hurt. God wants to heal you from whatever brokenness you've experienced, or whatever betrayal or abandonment, whatever it is. God wants to touch you. God wants to heal you. Every once in a while, I'll talk to someone. And um, you know, I have family members that live like this. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And when I came to know Jesus, we were all kind of like, this is what we look like. It's really interesting because when I, when I came to know Christ, I was the first one in my family to come to know Jesus. And when I told them, look, I had this new relationship with Jesus. 
I genuinely believe they were happier when I had this in my heart. You know what I'm saying? I genuinely believe they were happier when I lived with this weight in my heart. Because when I lived like this, you know, with this new heart, people looked at me and said, Reuben, you're different. I don't like you. I'm like, what are you kidding me? I've been free. I mean, I know God. God loves you and he loves you and he loves me. And oh my word, he's changed everything. And, and my life is so much better and the sky is way bluer and the grass is way greener. Why, why are you happier when I would live like this? You know anyone like that? They're okay for you to live like this and don't go to church. There, there's a certain joy they have, just satisfaction that, but once you open up yourself and you say, I'm gonna go to church and I'm gonna seek God. There's some people that won't appreciate that. There's some people that won't like that. <clears throat> Hear this, all of humanity can be separated into two groups, those who believe and those who don't. It's true. Jesus talked about them as the sheep and the goats. So simple. When I see people living like this, you know what, what I want to say? Why? Why? You go to sleep with that thing? You wake up with that thing? Every day at work, or it's, you live like this everywhere you go. This is just the way you live. And I want to say, why? I know how it feels. Guilt, shame, anger, resentment. You're an ugly person. Why? And I hear the bitterness out of your out of your mouth. I, I hear the edge. I, I, I see it. I'm gonna say, why? Why would you want to live like this? The the grace of God is transforming. But you'll never know the grace of God until you say, humble yourself before God and you say, God, I give up. I need you, Lord. The beautiful thing about it is God takes away that, that stone and he gives you this beautiful new life. <clears throat> verse 30, I'm gonna read verse 30. It says this. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense and he welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. Paul shows up <clears throat> in Rome. He's confined to these quarters. He has this long chain on him with his guard. It's not like he thought, not like he was thinking it would be. And he's there in Rome, appealing to Caesar, this guy named Nero, who doesn't look at churches or Christians favorably. In fact, becomes has a reputation for killing, murdering Christians. So what does he do? Hey, um, can I get some paper? I want to write some letters. Anybody, can I get a pen? I'm going to write some letters. And there's four letters that he writes while he's a prisoner in Rome. And here they are. They're known as the prison epistles, the prison letters. And I hope when you read these letters in your Bible, you have a different view of them. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those four were written while he was a prisoner in Rome. The prison epistles. That's what he does. He's like, you know what? I visited these places back when I was doing my ministry. I'm going to write him some letters. And he starts writing these letters. And I love Ephesians 1, verse 1. Verse 1. He says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, 
to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. It's really cool how he defines himself. His identity is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He's in chains. He's a prisoner. He's got a Roman guard attached to him. And he's not complaining. He's not saying, rip off, God, rip off. I said yes to you, and look at my life. You don't ever see that in his letters. And you know what he says? I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Do you complain? Do you let everyone know how bad you got it? Are you a complainer? Your faith shines brightest. Your faith is loudest when you got a Roman guard attached to your wrist. <laughs> when you got Nero in the background and you choose to live by faith. You choose to live by faith. Verse 12, or Philippians chapter 1, he says this, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. That's how he's looking at this thing. He's like, you know what? This is not what I thought it would be. This is not what I planned. But I'm discovering God's plan is better than my plan. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak against God's message without fear. So they were looking at Paul. They're like, gosh, look at that dude. He's still, he hasn't turned his back to God. He's still walking with Christ. Why do bad things happen to good people? Look at him. Look at him. Really interesting acts, the way it ends. It just kind of leaves you on this cliffhanger about Paul. So the Bible doesn't, doesn't tell us and then Paul, you know, went to trial because it went two, two years. He was waiting to go to trial. And then he went to trial and they, and they, they ended up, you know, uh, they, they found him non-guilty, not guilty. And you don't, you don't read any of that and really because it's not essential. But some people, some Bible scholars believe that he eventually traveled to Spain because that was a place that he wanted to go to Spain. Uh, even the United Kingdom. Some people believe he went to the United Kingdom. Some people believe he went back for a second trial. But one thing we do know, eventually... Eventually, he was beheaded. He was beheaded by this evil emperor named Nero. And the charge against him was for hating humankind. So ironic. This is a guy who gave his life so that people could know life. Jesus. And the charge against him was for hating humankind. And the belief is he was beheaded right around A.D. 68. Shortly after that, Nero took his own life and committed suicide. That's the way it ends. But in the book of Acts, there's this cliffhanger. It's like an old Alfred Hitchcock movie or something. It just, it just stops. But enough has been said. Enough of what we need to know is, is there. So some of you came to church maybe this is what you look like. I'm so glad you're here. I just want you to know the devil doesn't want you to be here. But the devil's a liar. And Jesus came to give life, a life to the fullest. God wants to set you free this morning. Would you let him? Others of you, maybe you consider yourself a Christian, but you look at the life of Paul and you're like, whew, 
Where's Paul? This is where I'm at. I'm not that dedicated. I'm not that focused. I'm not that willing to just do everything. I'm not, not, I want you to know Paul was fully human. He was fully human. If you go to the island of Malta today, you see statues of St. Paul everywhere. I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that would turn Paul's stomach because Paul was never about look at me. He was always about look at Jesus. Always about look to Jesus. I really, I really wholeheartedly believe that would turn his stomach. It wasn't about him. It was about Jesus all the time. It was about Jesus. He would say, don't pray to me, pray to Jesus. That's what Paul the Apostle would say. Don't pray to me. I'm a chief of sinners. Don't pray to me. Pray to Jesus. That's what he would say. Would you just let God use you? Would you surrender to God's way? Those of you who consider yourself a Christian. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you for your presence here. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you. I sense your presence here, even while I'm up here speaking. And I just want to say thank you for using me. I'm so humbled by that. And it's by your grace and it's for your glory. If you've got a hard heart, that stone in your heart, would you just let God take care of that right now? Would you just say, God, Jesus, take out this heart of stone from inside of me right now. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear and put a new heart inside of me. Give me a new desire to seek you, a new desire to read your word, a new desire to cry out to you, to pray to you, a new desire to follow you, Jesus, to live every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day for you. Save me. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Heal me. Others of you, maybe consider yourself a Christian. <clears throat> but maybe you're, uh, you need courage. <laughs> Would you say this? God, give me the same courage Paul had to live out my life as a Christian. Even if the backdrop is an evil emperor named Nero. Give me the courage, even if I have chains on me and I don't like where I work, I don't like where I live, I don't like who I'm with, I don't like whatever. Give me, give me the courage to live out my faith and use me, use me like you did, Paul, in my mission field wherever you've called me here. May I be a light to darkness here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.